Hi everybody, welcome to Stress Free Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle, and uh, another faultless launch, technically. Did I say technically? Let me do that again. Uh, It's good to be here. How is everybody doing? A couple of fun things to talk about. Nothing earth-shattering that I'm aware of yet. Although, one news story might be. uh, This is Friday, by the way. Had to postpone today. Um, My my good, uh, good little... Uh, Bean, my little cat, has uh, had uh, diabetes for a couple years now. Let's go in every now and then and have his blood sugar run, uh, usually twice a year. And the vet's only open late on Thursday night, so I had to go get him last night. So here we are on Friday, December 3rd. Uh, and his his blood sugar is just perfect. So that's great. Two shots a day, and he's he's golden. Uh, let's see. Uh, just before I uh, started rolling this uh, adventure, I uh, just checked on the news while we were playing the uh, walk-in music, which is a collection of 60s TV shows. If you haven't seen the show live, uh, you really should check it out. It's really fun. I probably need to do a new one. Um, but uh, it's a kind of a cultural handshake. These are all the things I grew up with. And if I ran them prior to uh, the recorded version that you're watching now on YouTube, if you're not one of the 51 people watching it live then uh, those would just give me a copyright strike every time. And so there you go. Um, Anyway, uh, in the the Jetsons-like future that I'd always thought I was going to be living in, yeah, Petula Clark's not going anywhere. None of the, yeah, we open every show with um, uh, I Know a Place by Petula Clark. It's the uh, Stratosphere Lounge theme song. I've tried real hard to see if I could get the rights for it just for the internet. It's extraordinarily expensive. So those people who watch the show live continuously, and many strata loungers here have been doing it for, gosh, years, five years, six years, something like that, um, get to hear Petula Clark's I Know a Place before we get started on this. That's really a big part of the show. In any event, um, so the, the future that I thought I was living in uh, and the future you would see here in the fabulous Stratosphere Lounge, if the cameras were reversed, I've got Sid Meat artwork all over the place. He's a futurist who... Worked mostly, I think, for General Motors in the early 60s, and he just created this beautifully, highly, extremely colorful world where everything is clean and everything is cool. And uh, it's not like this elitist thing. It's just in the future, everybody's got prosperity uh, because uh, we have unlimited energy. And uh, one of the ones back there, the one I like the most, is on on the wall back there. It's a it's a picture of this gigantic nuclear-powered family. Uh, traveling, it's like an RV, but it looks like it looks like a shuttle from Star Trek. And the kids peering in the window. Dad's negotiating a price. You know, it's it's a it's a um, it's a it's like I say, it's an RV, but I'm sure it's nuclear powered because everything uh, that that Sydney did is, it seems. So I miss um, I miss uh, the the um, I miss the nuclear world, the nuclear powered future, the atomic future. That's the word. Uh, every time, it's funny, it's strange because I play a little word crossword game. You know, you get like eight, seven letters, and you have to ma- make as many words as possible. I do this to keep uh, the remnants of the neurological system as well lubricated as possible. Uh, and every time I see the word atom, A T O M, I think, man, I just love atoms. Uh, I just, you know, when it's hard for people who weren't there to believe it, but really, right up until. 1979, uh, we all thought we were going to have a nuclear future, and I still don't know where mine is. 
And when I say nuclear, I mean fission, good old-fashioned, nasty, old-fashioned fission. In 79, I think it was when the uh, Three Mile Island vented a little tiny little bit of radioactive gas. Nobody got hurt from it. I think one guy had a heart attack reporting it, something like that. Uh, and that kind of put nuclear power on the ropes. What really did it was a film called The China Syndrome, uh, which was, the China Syndrome is the idea of a meltdown, uh, where if the, if the uh, reactor malfunctions and the cooling system fails, then the core gets so hot and it's so heavy, being uranium, it will melt down towards China. That's the China Syndrome. Uh, and every and this movie, the China Syndrome, really killed nuclear power, and and it, it happened right around the same time as Three Mile Island. I want to say it's '79. Three Mile Island didn't really do anything, but but uh, the um, the China Syndrome scared the hell out of people. That's what that's what uh, liberals do. Uh, they scare you into compliance with whatever they think about, even though. Uh, Nothing had happened. Anyway, uh, you're probably well aware of something called uh, Chernobyl, which was a, a, a catastrophe that could have been a hundred thousand times worse. They damn near lost all of Western Europe on that one. Uh, Chernobyl happened because uh, a, a Communist Party... By the way, if you haven't seen the Chernobyl series, I think it's on HBO, it's just simply one of the best... Um, it's one of the best maybe the best produced thing I've ever seen on TV. That it, it's, I think it's a six-part series. It's astonishingly good. It's absolutely accurate, and it's brilliantly acted, and it's beautifully written. It's just great. But I knew a fair amount about Chernobyl before, uh, before I saw the HBO series. I didn't know a lot about Chernobyl before the accident, but nevertheless. The short form is uh, a Communist Party official decided he wanted to run a low-power reactor test, and all of his engineers said, don't do that. And he said, well, I'm going to do it because I am a representative of the Communist Party and I need to uh, climb the bureaucratic ladder. So I need to be able to say that I achieved this thing. And the engineers, of course, agreed because if you disagree with a Communist Party official uh, long enough and hard enough, you find yourself in Siberia, which is not a bad place to be, by the way, if you've, if you've seen my wife. Um, so uh, they ran this low power test. The, the reactor got into a, a feedback loop and it exploded. And now we get really to the, the heart of it. Uh, the Soviets didn't build a containment around the reactors. Any U.S. reactor you've seen, and there aren't any new ones, and the old ones are being driven offline by people who apparently think electricity comes from, you know, unicorn sweat. Um, so uh, they, they built a reactor, but they didn't build a containment, those big concrete domes. The reason you have a, a containment around a nuclear reactor is because if something bad happens, the containment keeps the radioactivity inside. They didn't have that at Chernobyl, and they didn't have it because it was too expensive to build. And the Soviets, of course, are... This was the Soviets, not the Russians. The Soviets, of course, are, are, are never wrong. So they just kept... Didn't blow, didn't blow up yesterday, probably won't blow up today. All of this is just my uh, the beginning of my energy rant here. Because there was an announcement today that I want to talk about, but all of the atomic reactors in the country that are still functioning, all the ones that Germany had a, an incredible system of nuclear power. They shut it all down for windmills because of political pressure from the Green Party. Um, but uh, all of the uh, reactors in this country were designed in the 50s and 60s. 
And quite a while ago, we figured out that you didn't have to you didn't have to do all of the heating at once. You didn't have to get a nuclear core so hot that you had all the uranium and all the stuff in one place. So you know things like the thorium reactor or pebble bed reactors, where that process is where the heating process is spread out over a greater area and greater time. That means it never gets hot enough to melt down. And and so where I'm going with all this is there are you undoubtedly heard the term failsafe I, there's a failsafe against well you can't do this because it's a failsafe this failsafe that i didn't know what failsafe meant until i don't know five six seven eight years ago i knew what it was i just didn't know where the term came from failsafe means that when something breaks it it, it doesn't hurt you it fails safe and uh the reactors that we had uh in this country and around the world the original first first generation uh nuclear reactors didn't fail safe. They put fail safe mechanisms there, but that's not in the in the grand scheme of things. That's not a fail safe. So, for example, at Fukushima, which got hit by a 9.1 earthquake and was rated to survive a 9.0 earthquake, and I've been in a 7.6 or something, and I cannot imagine a 9.0 earthquake. But in any event, in Fukushima. Uh, when the reactors would scram, and, and if they lost power to the cooling pumps, Fukushima had backup diesel generators that would bring cooling water in and keep the reactor cool. But they also suffered, uh, at the same time as the earthquake, a tsunami. The tsunami <clears throat> took out the, the backup generators, and so the, the, the engineering failsafe failed, and you had another incident. So for me, Real failsafe means that if, if anything goes wrong, the reactor just stops and nothing happens. It doesn't get, it doesn't get, uh, there's no radioactive release. In any event, all of these fission reactors now that are, that are capable of designing, especially thorium, which is easy to obtain and, and just really a wonderful fuel source. All of this stuff's been available. It's, you, you can't even talk about it. See, I have a lot of problems with green energy, and my problems with green energy is pretty simple. Green energy can't do the job. If it could do the job, I'd be in favor of green energy, but it doesn't, so it doesn't. I think probably the most wildly optimistic estimate is that green energy might provide 7% of our total uh, energy needs. And since it's dark during uh, the nighttime and since the wind doesn't blow sometimes, um, Uh, Wizard said that Fukushima had a drowning failsafe, which the politicians intentionally disabled. Didn't know that. Um, anyway, uh, all of this stuff is is achievable with with fission. You, here, here's what a real failsafe reactor looks like. If anything happens, if there's an earthquake, the earth splits, falls in half, meteor hits the dome, whatever, a, a catastrophic. Then, then everything's fine. The reactor goes offline, and um, and there's no radiation leakage. These things are attainable. They've had a portable nuclear generator uh, that generates around 25 megawatts. It's about the size of a little small, maybe the size of a school bus or something, but considerably smaller than that. Completely self-contained. You just put it on a flatbed truck, and here's your 25 megawatts of power. I would have one of those buried underneath my house, probably underneath the swimming pool. I don't have a swimming pool, but if I did. That's where I put it because water is a great um, uh, protector against radiation. Anyway, all of this to say, 
In a world where there's unlimited energy, there's unlimited prosperity. You could think this through, and we did back in the 60s, guys like Sid Mead and so on. I'm just going to take a, a brief detour on the same, it's on, all on the same opening rant, but nevertheless, for those of you who, who weren't around during the space age, NASA had an expression in the early 60s, and that expression, and when I say early to mid 60s, that, and that expression was Saturn by 70. And that wasn't go to Saturn by 2170, that was we should be at Saturn by 1970. Saturn by 70 was what these guys were talking about. They developed something called the NERVA program, and they built, I want to say it was 23 nuclear, nuclear rockets. Simplest thing in the world. Just take a bunch of uranium rods, and you run some liquid hydrogen right over them. They get real hot. Out they go. Out the back, it's twice as efficient as the most efficient um, chemical uh, engines, and you don't need to carry nearly so much mass with you because you don't need an oxidizer. So NERVA did 23 engines, and they all worked perfectly, no problems, no failures. They just decided to shut it down because political pressure, and on and on, blah, 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 blah. But just think about this. When I, when I was uh, growing up, the idea of unlimited energy meant that we have, uh, as you may have heard, we have the occasional uh, droughts here in California. That was just off the table for me for the first half of my life. This idea was inconceivable. Why would you have a drought in California? Well, because it stopped raining. Okay, no problem. I get that. But California does border on the largest body of water in the world. In fact, the largest, I almost said almost largest body of water in the known universe, but the inside of Ceres may actually contain more water than Earth does. In any event, in any event, uh, you got a drought. Great. You go to your nuclear-powered desalination plants, and then you run them to your nuclear-powered pumping stations, and you simply pump as much water as you want. You have unlimited fresh water in California at all times. You grow cotton in the Nevada desert if you want to, if you have if you have unlimited power. And that's what I thought was going to happen. When I two most um, the two most influential uh, events in my uh, childhood. One was watching the Thunderbirds when I was five, and another one was right around that same time. I was born in 59, so 64 World's Fair in New York. Uh, they had the Futurama display, which was General Motors, I think. And I've talked about this before. I, I remember these enormous, you know, tableaus of, like, models. Here's, here's the lunar base, and you're riding through this. And, and I seem to remember going to the horizon. I saw a video of it, and I realized it's about the size of a card table. But nevertheless, in any event... Um, the world of unlimited clean power is a very different world than the world we live in because we live in a world that is politically generated by scarcity. We've got to shut down um, our, our uh, natural gas plants. We've got to shut down our, our coal and, and oil plants. Why? Because it's killing the planet. I don't think it is. But, but I would cheerfully uh, shut down coal and nuclear, uh, coal and uh, gas plants and oil-based plants if we had reliable, endless energy, which would be nuclear. Nuclear's off the table. Because the Soviets put a fire in a house, and they didn't put it in a fireplace. They just lit the fire in the middle of the living room. That's what a, that's what a nuclear reactor without a containment is. It's like coming home and then starting your fire for the evening because it's cold, and you don't have bricks around the fire, and you don't have a brick fire uh, escape mechanism with the chimney. 
just lit it in the middle of the living room and hoped everything turned out. So anyway, today I heard this would be, and it still may yet be, but should be, get a little shadow off my face here, should be a historical day uh, because today I heard for the first time in history we have at Lawrence Livermore University, uh, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, for the first time uh, today, they did a, an experiment with fusion. Fusion is different than fission. Fission is taking a big heavy element like uranium and having the particles hit each other with neutrons. They split off and release energy. Fusion is where you have to smash hydrogen atoms together. Fusion is what powers the sun. And fusion is awesome because fusion, first of all, all you need is hydrogen. Uh, there's a specific kind of a helium will do it. Helium-3 is naturally made on the moon and all this other stuff. But today, in any event, forget about the... I'm not, I'm not going to make this whole show about this. But today in the news, I heard uh, that at Lawrence Livermore uh, Laboratories today, for the first time in history, they, they did an experiment on fusion and they got more energy out of the system than they did to put into it. And that's that's been the holy grail for fusion. Um, in order to make this happen, let me just tell you what, I, I, I'm not convinced that this is the way to go, by the way. There might be better ways to do fusion, but in any event, the classic fusion experiment uh, works like this. Uh, nope, that's not it. Hang on. Hang on a second. Yeah, let's just do this. Because these numbers are mind-boggling. So at Livermore today, 3rd of December, 2021, this date is a date that may go down in history for those of you who care about these kind of things. Um, they were able to um, do a test run and they got more energy out than they put in. So what do you mean by put in energy? You don't have to put in energy when you fire up an oil plant. You don't have to, I mean, the energy's in the fuel, right? The energy's, uh, somebody can help me with this. If oil is either oil is both a fuel there's a difference between a fuel and an energy source and and i'm pretty sure fuel is the energy source and the fuel in any event in order to make this fusion reactor work it takes a ton of energy just to get it going and one of the things that takes a ton of energy just read this because this is actually i've known all this theoretically but some of this is, is really pretty cool so at the at the livermore lab um what they did was they took a little tiny capsule of uh, deuterium and tritium, it's heavier isotopes of hydrogen. It's placed in a hollow gold chamber about the size of a pencil eraser, I'm kind of paraphrasing now, called a hole run, I guess. Then 192 high-powered laser beams. 192 high-powered laser beams require a great deal of electricity to operate. So you're starting out this power plant that's supposed to be generating electricity. You're starting out with a huge deficit because this plant that's supposed to be generating energy is actually sucking in enormous amounts of energy from other coal-based plants or oil-based plants in order to power the lasers. But 192 high-powered laser beams are then blasted in, into an area the size of a pencil eraser. And these are the numbers that I didn't know before. Uh, resulting in temperatures of... <laughs> I want to just get this right. Uh, this because everybody compares things to the sun. I've got these numbers in my head. I just want to make sure I'm right. Uh, this is where the internet is is amazing and, and we should have just left it like this. 
So the temperature of the surface of the sun is about 5,000 to 6,000 degrees centigrade. That's not a crazy high number. The reentry vehicles get nearly that high. The core, on the other hand, where the reaction is, is a good deal hotter. 15 million degrees Celsius. Quite a big difference between 5,000 and 15 million. Okay, so now we get to the fun part. So in order to make this experiment work at Livermore Laboratories, they had to concentrate these lasers, 192 lasers, into an area the size of a pencil eraser. eraser and they got to 100 million degrees Celsius. 100 million degrees. Uh, that's what, three times the, the temperature of the solar core? And, and this number impressed me more than that, too. Uh, not only do they have to have it under very high temperature, something under that kind of high temperature will just immediately explode, obviously. And that's not what you want. You want this thing to continue burning hot, 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 hot. That'll heat steam. You can drive turbines with it. So in order to contain this thing, you have to do something different than the sun. Because this, the way the sun contains this incredibly powerful explosive reactor is because the gravity of the sun is so enormous that the, the weight of the star is, is pressing down on the core hard enough so that fusion can happen in the middle. And the, the star is in a state of equilibrium. There's In the center of the star, the hydrogen is being fused into helium. This is generating an enormously explosive effect, but the gravity of the sun is so huge, it's creating an extremely great compressive effect. And you get, you know, eight, nine billion years of, of high quality energy from that. From that thing. So in a laboratory, you've got this problem now. You've got the same temperature. You've got three times the temperature of the sun, but you've got no gravitational mass whatsoever in a pencil eraser. So they have to use magnetic fields, which is much more, thousands, I don't know how many times more powerful magnetism is than gravity. Somebody in our brilliant comment section will tell me, but it's, it's, it's thousands, if not millions of times more powerful. So to make this fusion reactor work, they have to use magnetic fields to contain the reaction, and here we go. The pressure inside of this reactor core at Lawrence Livermore. One atmosphere is uh, what you're experiencing right now. Every 30 feet of depth you go down into the ocean, you get, um, you pick up another uh, atmosphere. Subs will generally go down as deep as maybe 30 or 40 atmospheres. Uh, that's a measure of pressure. I've heard that inside a, a pistol or a rifle that's being fired, the pressure behind the bullet when that charge goes off is on the order of 30,000 atmospheres. That's a lot of pressure on one side of the bullet compared to one atmosphere on the other, so that bullet leaves in a hurry. And the, temp and the pressures uh, <laughs> that they achieved at Lawrence Livermore uh, are 100 billion atmospheres. 100 billion atmospheres of, of pressure is to me much more impressive than 100 million degrees Celsius. I, I, I simply astonish. Well, of course, you put a lot of energy into tiny little place. So anyway, you get the idea. You gotta, you gotta have these enormous lasers firing this thing to get it hot enough, and then you have to have these enormous electromagnets to create a magnetic field strong enough to contain it, and that turns out to be about two terajoules, something like that. Uh, 
And finally, finally, we got one that they sucked up all this energy to run the lasers and the magnets, but this thing exploded and more energy came out of it than went into it. It's the first time in human history, December 3rd, 2021, at good old United States of America, loosely defined because it's in California. More energy came out of that than, than went into it. So that's the holy grail for fusion. They've been working on this for 30 years hard. It always seemed like fusion was 10 years away for the last 30 years, kind of like the end of COVID. Um, but here's the final, here's the final thing. This is what will, this is what blew my mind. Here's how fast things are happening at Livermore. <laughs> In 2018, the, the reaction that they got at Livermore today is 25 times greater than the reaction they got in 2018. Since 2018, they've multiplied the yield by 25 times. And it is eight times greater, energy they got out of this reaction today, eight times greater than an experiment conducted two months ago, two to three months ago. So in three months, we've multiplied the yield by a, by a factor of eight. That's actual honest to God progress. Now, um, so I don't know what the actual yield was, but in round numbers, let's just say for the sake of it, you put 1.8 uh, uh, gigajoules into it and you get 1.9 out. That's hardly worth the expense of the, and, and all of it. But the point is 25 times the yield of a couple years ago, eight times the yield of a couple months ago, this is moving fast. And here's the thing about this, it's such a game changer. I've been waiting for unlimited clean energy from nuclear for you know, 62 years now. And opponents of nuclear fission and nuclear uh, energy has been available to us until today have pointed out the risks of fallout and all the rest of it. And that's a serious risk. It can be, it can be solved, but not with the political system we have today. However, if this, if this works, and it did work, it worked today, then you're going to have a hard time. The left is going to have a hard time getting around fusion. I can understand how they can raise, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I can understand there's legitimate reason to fear fission power because of the spent nuclear fuel and the risk of serious contamination, all that. But uh, the byproduct that comes, you put, uh, you put hydrogen into the reactor, which you can get from water, and then if you have to split the hydrogen from the oxygen atoms using electricity, which your plant's going to generate a lot of, the byproduct is oxygen. You get oxygen. Um, so uh, it, this is a long, long, well, I almost said it's a long, long way from, um, from a working uh, reactor, but it's been a long, long way from a working reactor until today. Today was the holy grail. Today was the holy grail of fusion. The day when more energy came out of the reaction than went into it. Today was the first day that the experiments have actually been in the black, so to speak. Um, yes, Wizard said you fuse two hydrogens, you get helium. But 
there's not an enormous mass in there to begin with. You get a tremendous, unbelievable amount of energy out of it. So, um, and besides, so, okay, so you get some helium, you get to, you get to have free kids' balloons as well. Um, so, oh, now we need to, uh, Steve Eisenstein says, now we need to pick up the pace building the second fleet. Yeah, I was really pretty happy with that, moving back to Marty. There is no radiation. It's not radioactive. There are no heavy elements. There's no neutron emission that's being absorbed by metal and other things that can be contaminated. There's no fallout. And if the thing gets hit light by a lightning bolt or a meteor, it just simply shuts down. You have to, you, this reaction is, is, it's not like fission. You put enough fission in one place, this thing is going to be hot forever for 20,000 years. It's going to be hot forever. This, the second you turn the switch off, the power goes off, it just stops. It just, it's not working right now, and it won't, and the second it stops, and it'll, then it'll stop uh, working too. There's no radiation. There's, uh, yeah, that's right. There's no radiation, plenty of heat, plenty of heat. It's an incredibly efficient reaction in terms of its energy production, but it takes a tough, piece of engineering to get it done. Um, so, uh, how how is the left gonna deal with this? And this kind of comes to the political point here because no matter what they tell you, the hardcore left, the, the watermelons, the, the reds, you know, that are wearing a green skin, have said that the worst thing that could happen to humanity would be for humanity to have a source of unlimited clean power because they hate people, they hate humanity, they hate all of it. If we can get fusion going, well, I keep saying, if we can get fusion going, we got fusion going, it happened today, happened today. Um, then they're gonna have a hard time trying to convince people that they have to do things like, you know, endure rolling blackouts. Uh, you know, this, this is kind of a, a greatest generation thing. When energy is expensive, and it, and it has been, and it continues to get more expensive. But when I was a kid growing up, and undoubtedly many of you had greatest generation parents, if you left a light on in the room, you know, go in there, turn that light off. It's costing us money. I right, close that door. I'm not, I'm not trying to air condition the entire state of Florida. Close that door. I'm not trying to heat the entire state of Minnesota. You have unlimited free energy. Just say, yeah, why not? Just air condition Florida. Just air condition the whole state. So this is one of the things that makes me think that the, the things are not only turning around on a short scale, but turning around on a large scale. Um, they won't be able to defeat this. Well, as long as we have the Republican Party defending things like fusion, then I'm sure they will. But this isn't windmills and this isn't solar, solar farms. This is, this is the real deal. Uh, I did a lot of research on this, almost turned it into a, a uh, almost at a firewall, but to be honest with you, moving back to America is, uh, try to make them as much like firewalls, and they are far, 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 far easier to produce. Um, so, it was a big day. Yeah, uh, Wizard says it's solar with less steps. It is solar with less steps and 200 million times the yield. Uh, it's not a 20 megawatt solar farm. It's not a 15 megawatt wind farm. It's a three billion watt reactor, completely clean. So this is just an example of what engineering can do and, um, and, and how the world has changed since I was a boy. We always knew that we could pull this off. We just lost the will. We could have been 
Saturn by 70 would have been a bit optimistic, you know, but Mars by 70 was doable. Um, and, and then the left happened. Uh, Eric Blake says, uh, is cold fusion what happened? No, it's not cold fusion. Cold fusion uh, is a big scandal. Guys basically came out and said, hey, we found a way to do fusion. It doesn't even get hot. just generates energy out of a cold beaker. They found some kind of reaction going on. They thought it was fusion. They didn't test it hard enough, but cold fusion is not real. Um, <laughs> which it says now you can mount solar panels around the reactor miles away and make leftists use that. That's actually how we should do it. We should actually get this, this, these fusion reactors, bury them in the ground, run the power cables out, and then put a series of, of painted cardboard or painted uh, plywood uh, uh, solar panels. And they're completely useless. They're just wood painted with little cross hatches on them. And then the, the solar, the, the fusion plants buried below that, but the, but the wires come up and then they come out of this thing that we tell people is a solar farm. And then, and then they're good to go. But this is a game changer. And, and I almost said, I'm not going to live to see it. But when, when you get a yield that's 25 times what it was in 2018, and eight times what it was in September. Uh, now you're now you're cooking with gas, if you'll pardon the expression. So that was really good news. Uh, let's see uh, a couple of other uh, stories from the amazing field of science. Um, Wizard says I got I live to see the Jetsons car. Uh, close. I mean, yeah. All right. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Got to fly it along easy. Close enough. Thanks, Bert. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then in unrelated uh, science news, um, I found out uh, yesterday, was it, yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday, uh, got some good news and bad news on this one. Um, the, uh, the, we, we've detected um, an incoming, uh, you know, I hate to call it asteroid, it's not really an asteroid, but you know, planetoid, Technical terms, a meteoroid, and um, and so good news and bad news. The bad news is it is going to hit the Earth, and uh, the good news is uh, we know exactly when and we know exactly where, for once. And even better news is that it's uh, really quite a small object. Uh, so this next one is either good news or bad news, depending on your perspective. This uh, small um, meteoroid is going to impact the Earth on January 13th at about at 1 o'clock Pacific time. And we know where it's going to land, and it's going to land right exactly uh, where? here. It's going to land right here. This is where it's going to hit. It's going to hit right there, right there. Uh, so, for most of you, good news. For me, it's not terrible news. Uh, so, when this micrometeoroid strikes the Earth and, and strikes the Earth right here, it's going to produce a crater here about the size of, uh, I almost said a dime, it's actually going to be about, about the size of a nickel, maybe? Uh, and that impact crater will last for at least three or four months. Uh, so, what am I trying to say with all of this uh, prestidigitation? That's the second time I've mispronounced 
prestidigitation in two days. Uh, so I did a, a little biopsy here and um, had this little irregular patch. It's not very obvious. It's just a little kind of a discoloring thing. But, and, and I've been to a dermatologist, I go every six months, and he took a look at it. And uh, finally, finally, I had to kind of say, can we find out what this is? Because it just won't go away. It's just this little discolored patch, and sometimes it's more prominent than others, but it's been here for a while. I don't even know where it, when it came in, but there it is. So after finally um, having looked this thing over five times, I said, can we find out what it is? Uh, and it turns out it's a basal cell uh, form of skin cancer. Now, basal cell is the, is the, uh, is the bottom tier, your kind of entry-level skin cancer. Um, it's the least dangerous. Uh, above that, if my understanding is correct, is squamal cell. And then above that, you get into melanomas. Melanomas are, are a real danger. Uh, squamal cells, less so. And basal cell is uh, even less so. Um, Rich Stark points out that term basal comes from base. It's like a, it's like a fundamental. It's your entry level uh, skin cancer, and it's all I could afford. Um, so, uh, in any event, uh, what I'm going to have to do on the 13th of January is go in, and they're going to do something called a Mohs procedure, M-O-H-S. Whatever you do, do not Google Mohs procedure images. Do not do that. Because if you do, and I know you're all doing it now, I know, I know what kind of people you are. You're going to find people with, with holes in their nose that reveal their sinuses, holes in the side of their fed that re reveal their tent. It's freaking horrible. Uh, so what they're going to do with a nose, with a MOHS, M-O-H-S, MOHS procedure is uh, they go in there, a certain same guy is going to go in there, he's going to numb up my lip. At least I hope he's going to. He did last time. And then... Um, what they do with the Mohs is they start, they, they, they get the, the, the uh, basal cell cancer out and then they kind of go around the edge and they take little tiny pieces. And then while you're still sitting there enjoying the view, uh, they get those under a microscope and when they no longer see any um, any uh, the basal cells, when it's nothing but clean cells all around, then they, then they leave you alone. Uh, so... Um, starting on the first day after, I think, 13th, I want to say it's a Monday, let me check. Uh, so I've had this, uh, the 13th is a Monday, oh, that's December. It's a Thursday. Hey, be stressed for lunch night. Um, so, uh, I had uh, this dark spot from the biopsy, which is completely scabbed over and gone now, pretty much. Uh, it's going to be like that, but it's going to be 20 times the area. Uh, so I'm going to have either a, a Band-Aid on my lip for a couple of weeks to prevent you know, people from losing their lunch, watching the, uh, uh, the various content here at BillWiddle.com. And then what will happen is... Uh, it'll, um, it's, it's an actual hole and it's, 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 it doesn't go all the way through the lip, but it's a, it's a, it is a crater. Uh, and so makeup's not going to really cover that. Uh, eventually it'll, it'll uh, heal up enough so I can take the bandaid off. Then I could probably put some makeup on it. Then it'll sort of scab over and then it'll be gone. And that's the end of that. And I don't have to worry about it. Um, a <laughs> skin graft from my butt. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a skin graft from the butt, and, and that's done live. It's not like they take the skin off of the butt. It's like they peel a, a flap of skin from your butt and then stitch it to your nose here, and it forces you into kind of an uncomfortable position for a while. Um, 
Marisha said, MetaHuman built to the rescue. Funny you mentioned that because I've given that real serious thought. I can do that in real time. But uh, all of this just to say um, that this is something that uh, does not concern me in any way other than uh, the cosmetic issue that will be there for probably a month and a half, two months. Um, so uh, if it turns out that you also have one of these things, this is relatively bad news compared to, oh, no, it's, uh, it's completely, it's nothing. It's just a pass, patch of eczema. Uh, so I am genuinely not worried about it. I'm not worried about the outcome. I'm not worried about the procedure. Uh, for those of you who've been around for a while, I had two serious size patches on my back. I, they got to be serious sizes, couldn't see them. And uh, one of those had an incision about that long, and uh, I took pictures of that and posted it. And now that one in uh, 2015, 14, somewhere around there, somewhere around there. Uh, that one, they they uh, they took a took a hunk out of me. I always I'm always curious in these kind of things. I always like to hear what's going on, and. Um, on the, on the one on my left shoulder, I had one on my right shoulder, one on my left shoulder. One on my right was done with nitrogen, just a lot of nitrogen. The one on the left, they had to take a hunk of bill away. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'll just recount this story because I'm in a blabbering mood, um, which is good for you. Because one thing I've noticed about these Stress for Lounge episodes as we approach, I think, episode 305 is that I carry most of the conversation. Uh, so... Um, when I had this thing done with my back, I, I'm sitting on the, uh, yeah, but people are pointing out, uh, you know, sunny place. So I've lived in, when I was three, I moved to Bermuda, then I lived in Florida, then I lived in California. That's a lot of sunshine. Uh, I'd love to use that as an excuse, but I've never been out in the sunshine, at least not since I was a kid. So anyway, uh, when they, they did this, this thing on my back, um, I'm lying face down. Well, first of all, I'm sitting on the on the on the uh, butcher's table, rather or rather the uh, the professional um, paper film that the doctors have. Uh, and he says, "All right, so the injection of the anesthetic is what hurts the most because the anesthetic stings for a few minutes before it goes in." And uh, when they did the biopsy, they gave me an injection. You're stung a little bit. They give you this little kind of the vibrates on your chin, like this. What's this? That makes your brain pays attention to the vibration and less pain and, and less attention to this. They did that when I did a root canal too. Actually works. Uh, so um, he said this is going to hurt a lot, and I said okay. And, and so he gives me this injection because he had inject a lot of it. It's a big area, and um, it stung a bit. And I said, is it going to? When's the hurt part going to really kick in? And uh, he said, oh no, we're done. we're all done. I said, this is it. And he said, I've had grown men weeping, crying from, from what we just did to you. Oh, whatever. Oh, and I've been asked to promote, uh, promote the uh, Discord, uh, so I will in a minute. Uh, it's starting to get popular. Um, anyway. Um, so, I weathered that, and he said, did it bother you? It stung a bit. You know, it's not the end of the world. Okay. So then, um, I'm lying face down, uh, and uh, I feel absolutely nothing. It's the thing about about um and i've always wondered about this uh when you when you have a local anesthetic you don't feel any pain but you do feel pressure um 
So, I don't feel much of anything, and I'm lying face down. All of a sudden, I feel a little bit wet back on my, a little bit of wetness on my shoulder. And I said to the doctor, I said, uh, are you about to tell me that one of you accidentally spilled a, a, a glass of, of absolutely pure uh, sparkling mountain water on my back there? Because I feel a little wet back there. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what it was. We just spilled some, some, some beautiful, clean, clear uh, water on your back by accident. Here you go. So they got the, the thing out. And here's the fun part. You get to lie there while they run this thing over to the lab. You're still numbed up, and I didn't feel a thing. And uh, they have to check around the perimeter so that they, so that with the microscope, so they find out that this hunk of bill that they took out of my back is uh, its bill all the way around the edges, and it's unwanted um, hitchhiking, uh, you know, layabouts in the middle. So yeah, it's good. So that's about a 15-20 minute wait, which is pretty impressive. And while I'm sitting there, uh, before they sent it off, I said, you know, I'm really curious about all kinds of things. I'm always curious about medical procedures, all of it. I said, you show me this, this thing? He said, we generally don't do that. You, and I said, yeah, I'm kind of curious. He said, you're not going to get sicker? He said, I don't think so. You know, let's give it a try. So I'm lying face down, and he got this forceps, and he brings this hunk of me out about that big, something like that. You can see my skin has been marked up with markers where the guy's done the, they just put a little marker there to do the surgery. And underneath that comes from, uh, is the uh, fat layer, which is bright yellow, Simpsons yellow, shockingly yellow. And underneath that's a bit of red. And it looked exactly like a piece of sushi. And I don't like sushi. So we sent it back. Um, and then he uh, put some heavy duty stitches in there. When I say heavy duty, he had a, he had a pretty big size hold a close and since it's on the back of your shoulder there's a fair amount of tension there so i think he used you know kind of fishing line used to bring big sharks in with and um he just kept you know i, I could i could feel him i've never been laced into a corset despite what you may think uh but it, it had that kind of feel where it's like oh, okay he's like he's leaning into this thing and then i Took a picture of it and I showed it to everybody and 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 there you go. He took my pound of flesh. Well, he took a he took a few ounces anyway, um, and uh, and I and honestly, this is the absolute truth. Same thing for the biopsy. Once the once the anesthetic wore off the, the local, I didn't I didn't take so much as a as a as a Tylenol. I, I didn't feel anything. So um, uh, there you go. So I'm gonna have um, I'm gonna have a, a a crater here on my lip, and I think I might do a moving back to America show about this, and I might even do a contest. I might do a name that crater contest. I think what I'll do is um, have a online poll, and unlike other online polls, which can go very wrong, just ask Bodie McBoatface, or the poll that they did for online poll for the new flavor of Mountain Dew, apple flavored Mountain Dew, and they said we're gonna let the public name it, and the number one. Uh, answer on the poll for the new flavor of Mountain Dew was Hitler did nothing wrong. Um, so, uh, so uh, in the name of the crater uh, competition uh, for the for the uh, impact crater that's going to be here on my lip for a while, I think we're going to limit it to lunar craters, authentic lunar craters. I'm personally leaning towards Archimedes because I think that'd be a cool thing to have on your lip, but I think we'll let the public decide. That it has to be an actual authentic lunar crater, and we'll set that up. So all of this 
to say that, you know, making light of something, oh, deep impact. I like that, Aaron. That's good. That's a good time. Oh, you know what would be the ultimate would be uh, would be to name it after the the crater that that landed in the Mediterranean. I'm sorry, in the in the Gulf of Mexico, just off of the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, and wiped out the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. It's unpronounceable. It's Chicotlapec, something or other. Uh, uh, but I don't want something I can't pronounce. So lunar crater, Tycho. Tycho's nice. Not a big crater, but stands out. And here on your lip, it's gonna gonna stand out. Chicxulub. <laughs> Chicken musket. Um, anyway. So that's that. Uh, one more strange little medical procedure. Uh, I'm sure I'll get um, sh. So, chish, chishu, Clavius is the answer. I was a 2001 Rebecca. Um, now this one I might get a little bit of a, a pushback on because it's not widely known, but it came to me highly recommended. So I, I just did this earlier today. I've been feeling really low energy, really, really low energy, and um, and for a couple of years now, I just feel you know feel like my hormones are going off the cliff and all that. Chishulu, chishulu, whatever. Why don't you just name it Benson or something? Uh, so, um, we decided to try something out today. Uh, Natasha had been in Russia, and and there's a lot of uh, medical procedures and, and quasi-medical procedures that are uh, that are in much more common usage than they are in the United States because the FDA, which I normally had a lot of respect for, lost a fair amount of respect for the FDA. All confidence in the CDC is gone. Chishilulub. Chishilulub. Okay, that's better. Um, anyway, so we decided to try this. Uh, this uh, it's called uh, intravenous therapy. And what they do is they give you massive doses of uh, vitamins and stuff intravenously. Uh, I, while I'm watching the little video here, uh, I forget the, if you, if you do nothing but chew vitamin C's all day, you get something like 200 minimolars per milliliter. Per, you get 200. Uh, intravenously, you can get up to 15,000. And so we decided to go do this. Uh, so it's like a little menu. I'll, I'll take some of the anti-aging stuff and a little bit of this, a little bit of weight loss stuff and all that. They put together these kind of cocktails and intravenous bag and off they go. Uh, now what I wanted to try uh, for the fun of it was, and what I ended up doing just a couple hours ago, is uh, in addition to all these mega vitamins and all the rest of this stuff that goes right into your arm, uh, I also decided to try some ozone therapy. So here's how that works. Uh, they take 60 cc's of blood out of Bill. So, so far I'm down. I'm, 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 it's like the reactor thing. I'm at a net loss. So far. I take 60 cc's out, uh, which is, you know, um, a, a bag about, you know, a bag about that big. Uh, and, uh, you know, that thing comes out in a, in a big old syringe, they inject it into this uh, IV bag. And then they take uh, uh, the same uh, hypodermic and they fill it full of gas, uh, which is ozone. Ozone is uh, O3, uh, breathing oxygen is O2. Uh, 
I've got all the zinc in the universe. They put in, they put in more zinc than, I've I got more zinc in me than a, than a car battery. Um, so what they have is they got, a, they got a bag of bill blood here, 60 cc's of me. And, it's, and when, if you've ever had a blood test and you're one of those people who looks at it, uh, you'll notice that when, when blood comes out of your veins, they never go to an artery, when it comes out of your veins, blood, human blood is so dark, it's damn near black, it's deep maroon, very dark in color because it's got no oxygen in it. The lungs have already put oxygen in, the tissues have taken it out, it's on its way back to the lungs, that's when they pull it out of your body. So if you've ever seen human blood that has not been exposed to the air, it's not blood red at all, it's dark maroon, really dark maroon. So uh, now we've got a big dark maroon bag of bill blood hanging on this thing. And this guy takes the same volume of blood that he took out. He takes the same volume of ozone, which is O3. You can't breathe ozone. Ozone's poisonous for you. But he then takes this ozone and injects it into the bag. See, it's not having to go through my lungs. Don't have to deal with the poison on the rest of it. It's going straight to the blood. And as soon as that ozone hits the blood, the blood goes, wow, wow. It turns into red, 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 red blood which they then inject back into you. And, um, and then uh, kind of feel better. They say it take a couple days to really feel it. But I figured, I don't see anything can really go wrong with this, you know? Uh, I mean, my blood is priceless, needless to say. And, but it was handled with the appropriate amount of respect and care. And, um, and Natasha was right next to me, she had it done too. So, they say a couple days for it to really feel. I felt better coming out of the place uh, and in addition to that, I had a cocktail of all the vitamins and minerals and zinc. And, and this is the, actually the key point, I think, for me. They also gave me a half a liter of um, saline solution. Because when I went to offer up my vein to this guy, great, great people, really. It, was, it wasn't quite fun, but it sure was, wasn't unpleasant. It was actually really interesting. So... Um, as this guy is looking for a vein, he just looks at my arm and says, you are exceedingly dehydrated. And I have been chronically and acutely dehydrated for a long time. I don't know how long, but a long, long time. A lot of these dry patches on my skin all due to dehydration. I've been badly dehydrated. In fact, the only time I ever drink is when I'm recording. Um, I don't even drink a lot of water during this, but when, I was re when I'm recording like... Uh, a firewall or something, I, or when I'm on camera, I drink like a fish. Just water, obviously. Somebody put pineapple, pineapple juice in my pineapple juice. So, uh, really dehydrated. I have really dry skin. I've got a lot of symptoms of dry skin. And, uh, and I know I was supposed to drink more water, but I just didn't. So... 60 cc's comes out of me and when you combine the 60 because the 60 cc's went out of me you got shot with ozone hooray and then on the way in they run it through a thin little tube with ultraviolet light and the ultraviolet light according to the advertising promotion uh kills a bunch of nasties in there too bacteria and all the rest of it they, uh, we're not used to seeing ultraviolet light. so it comes back in lady hawk drinks two liters of water a day wow that's amazing. Um, so, uh, 60 cc's out, oxygenated, run through the ultraviolet, 
back into the arm. I'm now back at net zero plus. Uh, is, a, is there a thousand cc's in a liter? Is that? I don't know. It sounds like it makes sense. In any event, blood goes out, oxygenated, clean, back in again. Sweet. Plus, I get a half a liter of, of liquid with the, um, with the, 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 the chemicals. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the vitamins and the, and the minerals and all that stuff. Plus, at no additional charge, I might point out, at no additional charge, I also get 500, um, I also get half a liter of uh, saline solution. So basically, I went into this clinic uh, two quarts low, not even showing up on the dipstick. It's just not even, there's no oil there. And they, uh, they, uh, they completely just, you know, topped me off. So um, uh, I may go back and do like regular hydration IVs uh, as I start to continue to drink more water. But um, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a liter of fluid more in my bloodstream than there was when I got there at 10.30 this morning. Um, and I'll answer that, Bart, don't let me forget. Um, and, uh, and I certainly felt better coming out and my voice felt better. Uh, it, that may have something to do with it too, you know, just being dehydrated with a scratchy voice. Thing. Um, so, uh, we will see, but I think at the very least I might do, um, uh, the hydration thing. And, and, you know, because I'm, I'm definitely feeling better. So, anyway, uh, that's that was kind of cool. It was really fun watching the um, watching that ozone hit the blood. It's like, holy cow. Uh, in, in the comments section here, where, uh, Marusha Dark, who can always be counted on to uh, supply not only stuff that's extremely interesting, but also extremely dark. Uh, name's probably just a coincidence. Pointed out that the Russians had done experiments with the decapitated dogs, and they kept the head alive for hours. They did. It's true horrible but true uh, I think the scientist in charge of that was named um, uh, Antoniovich Faustovich I think his name was uh, anyway uh, so uh, that would be lovely because uh, when I was describing how my energy felt low and I felt like uh, uh, I, I, I'd explain to doctor, well, it's a, I just feel, doctor, feel like I've got, like there's no blood in my veins. I feel like I'm, I'm running on compressed air, like I'm a pneumatic creature rather than a hydraulic one. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. And he said, no, it really doesn't. But anyway, um, uh, hey, hello, first time chat. Evening, Bill and chat. Hi, first time chatter. Um, so that was fun. So um, uh, so they, uh, who, Bart, Bart asked, where can you get this done? You can get it done in Los Angeles. Um, it's, it's very, uh, any relation to Fauci? No, I'm sure there's no relation at all. Um, so uh, I would just do a Google search. What I searched for was, um, I think I searched for IV therapy. Uh, the, there, there's a cocktail that's been in place, a combination of these things called, uh, I think, Myers. Uh, which is here's this much potassium, this much zinc, this much this, 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 and then this is Myers plus because it's extra something. Um, but I would just search for that. Uh, it's it's actually really common 
uh, or at least certainly more common in Russia. That's where Natasha heard about it, and we looked it up here, so in Los Angeles we get it. Uh, and it was just interesting and cool, and I didn't see a downside to it. I'm not, it, it, there was no medicine. I wasn't being injected with, you know, anything that's messing with my RNA or anything insane like that, which would, you know, be something you want to be careful about. Uh, but we'll see how it works out. And at the very least, I think just finding I was that badly dehydrated, I think just getting hydration IV once a week for a little while until I get this done. How hard is this procedure on the kidneys? I don't know. I had to, I had to, when they, they finished this thing off, by the way, it took a couple hours and, and probably doesn't take that long for, for most people, but they're putting fluid into you at, it's not refrigerated fluid, at least it, I don't think it was, but, um, but uh, it's, it's at least room temperature. And room temperature is what? In an air-conditioned building, 72 degrees. And inside the, um, inside the, uh, the bill reactor, it's a, it's a cozy 98.6. So your body has to, um, uh, has to heat that extra liter of fluid up and um, and that maybe got me kind of cold therefore my hands got real cold and towards the very end of it as I was taking in that extra half liter of, uh, of delicious saline solution uh, I started to get quite cold because body core is just trying to warm up a significant hunk of liquid and it's hard to heat water when you say you have uh, you know I, I, have, I have this uh, brownie and it's 700 calories it's actually 700,000 calories 700 kilocalories so um, anyway uh, I, I'm, I have high hopes for it, and, and at the very least, it was an interesting and fun experience, and it did help with the dehydration thing. Here's another drink of water. Cheers, by the way. Saline was cold. I got to think that the, that the vitamins and all the rest of that stuff was also um, relative. It must have been kept relatively cool. Final thing they did, by the way, um, <laughs> hydrate with Bill, says Steve Einstein. It's a new, it's a new hashtag. Uh, cost ballpark, I got a lot of extra stuff done. It was about 400 bucks for me, um, which is not cheap at all. But I was at the point where I was like, I'm really, really feeling bad, low energy. I got to get something going here. So we'll see. Um, oh, Mr. Tomes says, or Mrs. Tomes, or CP Tomes, Mr. Tomes, Tomes, Tomes said I got packed red blood cells fresh out of the fridge when I was laid up with a broken leg. That was painful, yeah. So finally, uh, the, the thing, um, the, the final thing was, uh, I'm, I'm going to go just at the very end of the last bag when I'm actually starting to shiver a little bit. Um, and then, he did this with Natasha first because she didn't need the extra half a liter top-up that I needed. Uh, then they give you an injection of magnesium. I'm assuming it's somewhat watered down and not pure liquid magnesium. Uh, and... Um, and she, that aches a little bit. It's not really painful. It's just a bit of an ache when it goes into the, into the uh, IV. And I just massage a little bit. And then she felt like this really big warmth that went all the way through her body. And I just felt, suddenly felt like warm in the back of my throat for a few moments. And then that was it. Burned down. Didn't get, didn't get the whole like body flush thing. A lot of people say that it just all of a sudden gives you like hot flush. <sighs> so. 17, uh, an hour and 15 minutes of science. Um, 
I'll let you know. Um, if I jog to work on Tuesday, uh, then that'll be absolutely great. Uh, somebody commented earlier that I need to get uh, back into working out. It's like, uh, yeah, no kidding. My friend uh, Ron Smith, uh, Rocket Smith, uh, died a couple years ago. He's 10 years younger than me. Uh, he had been fighting cancer most of his life. He was, he was the most original and funny guy I've ever seen. And I do have, I, I keep mentioning this, I've got the show that we did in Florida in the early 90s called Grazing that I went to Florida, found a bunch of really talented actors and comedians and writers, and we did a, four episodes of a comedy show, a, a sketch comedy show called Grazing. And I've got it, and I need to get it transferred off of the CD and onto, uh, and I'll just play it. Uh, what's the control group on the ozone study? I'm the control group. Um, just back to the ozone just for a quick second. I'm, I'm watching a video, not from this guy's clinic, from somebody else, and this doctor's uh, saying that this is not new, that prior to antibiotics, ozone treatment was the only thing they had that would that would help with infection. They take the blood out of you, shoot, you full of, shoot the blood full of ozone, run the blood through ultraviolet, and actually kill a lot of the bad stuff in there. So um, now I did what's called one bag, 60 uh, cc's, one bag. Some people do 10 bags. And when you get to that kind of uh, volume, now it has to be in a loop because if they took, you know, 600 cc's out of you, you would know it. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, this isn't chemicals really. I mean, obviously, all of biology is, is, chemis is chemistry, but this is not a. It's not a. Um, this is not a. Uh, you know, these are vitamins. It's not like it's not like a new medication. Um, This is interesting. Helio says you should have seen when the UFC allowed IV rehydration after weight cuts. It was insane. A lot of people have said um, in this video that I was watching, and that, and, and a doctor said it too, um, that a lot of times people will go in, they'll have the ozone treatment, get the blood highly oxygenated, then they would go work out. Like they'd leave the clinic, go work out, because they could add a lot of, of weight and stuff. Um, I know what we're talking about here is people dehydrating intentionally to make a, a fighting weight at the weigh-in and then, you know, but, but in any event. Uh, so I went to the gym every day in 1988, 89. I went every day for two years. I was a 98-pound weakling, 119-pound weakling. And then I was just, man, I was just adding weights. I was working on universal machines, you know, just adding, 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 and I really got built up. And, and strangely enough, I mean, I'm not exactly like a mountain of a man, but I'm decent form and uh, once you put that muscle on there it doesn't leave it's certainly not in the same kind of shape I used to be but I'm not the spider that I used to be um, so uh, there I was doing really just pushing hard and um, I've told this story a couple times I was uh, getting I don't remember how much weight I genuinely don't remember but I was doing incline incline press for pecs and stuff and uh, a friend said, oh, you need to use free weights. You need to use, uh, you know, uh, the pump some iron because it's better for your balance. Uh, uh, we'll do it. I'll spot you. Okay. So since I've been working out a lot, um, I could take a fair amount of weight. So we got the barbells up, and I'm on the inclined bench, and I'm ready. Yes. And he's spotting me. Yes. Okay, here we go. Hey, give me two more. And I end up here like this, and then all of a sudden, since on the universal machine it's welded together, so 
it's essentially averaging out both of your arms. Uh, I'm doing this, and my left arm says, no, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> Gone. All the weights spill off. I push my head back to, to brace myself against this, and, and in doing so, I uh, herniated a ruptured one disc and herniated another, and that hurt for years and years and years. Finally, I'd have surgery done, ground out the disc and replaced it with cadaver bone matrix. So it's not just me, actually. You know, it's funny. I, it's like I keep thinking this is a solo show. It's actually not. It's me and some other person, uh, which is creepy if you want to think of it as creepy and cool if you want to think of it as cool. Um, yeah, it, so when they fuse the two vertebrae together, they got to pack it with something, and they pack it with something called cadaver bone matrix, which is exactly what you think it is. It's the ground-up bone meal from dead people. And uh, they pack it in there, and your your body grows over it and says, hey, solid, good to meet you. How you doing? Uh, and, uh, and there you go. That was another procedure that's just non-event. It was just fantastic. Bill Frankenstein. Oh, uh, B-Fire's got it right. It's recycling. That's, ex <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Uh, I didn't talk about this uh, anywhere else. This is... It's nice not to have to worry about questions. I, I know a lot of people are disappointed because I may just not do any questions today. It's just nice when I just don't have to worry about it. Just kind of get on with it. At least there's no corpse pace. Broke college student, if that if that is a 40K reference, you win the internet for the day. I'm expecting an answer shortly. Um, um, uh, where was it? Oh, so we had all of we had the kids together. Oh, broke college student for the win, for the win. Um, yes, it's corpse paste. It's what they grind people into when they go to uh, to Terra to make their pilgrimage to visit, see if they can get into the Emperor's Palace, the Emperor of Mankind, beloved by all. Um, and uh, uh, and Stephen Eisen said, did, did 40K go rope, woke recently? They kind of went woke light. They went... All right, I, I'm just having fun tonight, so I'm just going to go with it. Um, let me just uh, finish this one little story. So we, so we went to Florida for Thanksgiving. All four of the kids there together for the first time in 19 years. We'd all seen each other, but never all together at the same time. Um, so... Uh, so we had my mom's ashes, and we went out to keep a skein where we grew up and um, released them into the water. And that's what she wanted. She'd said that she'd wanted that from way before she started losing her, her mind. And, um, and it was Thanksgiving Day. It was really nice. And the whole family was there, and, a bunch of a, and Natasha and a bunch of other people. Um, uh, and, and it's very, very beautiful, clear water that day. Uh, Wow. Okay. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel tweet. I think Jimmy Kimmel thinks he's funny. Uh, and I know that um, Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman think they're funny, but I don't think they're funny, and neither does uh, Critical Drinker. Um, so anyway, uh, so the reason we went with this, my brother Evan lost his uh, wife to, to cancer a couple years ago. They're really love of his life and he said something 
that um, that I never forgot because his because uh, his wife was cremated and ashes spread in the ocean. And uh, as we're walking out there, he's her name was Kim. Uh, he said, "Because uh, it's been a couple years now." I said, "By now, uh, Kim's been around the world a couple times." Yeah, all the water in the ocean. He said something I never forgot. He said, once you're in the water, you're in all the water. That's really kind of cool. Um, so, been three or four years, and in that time, the the, the atoms that were in her ashes have uh, traveled around the world, probably twice. Been underneath the polar ice caps, and some of them have been out there in the Pacific, and all the rest of it. I thought that was a beautiful thought. So we did that anyway, and it was it was really nice. It was it was just really really good. So back to the 40k thing, which I think is fun. So I had seen 40k from the outside for the longest time, and I just couldn't. St I just hated it, and I hated it because looking at it from the outside, the whole so 40k is is Warhammer 40k 40 40,000 AD. It's set in the far future, in the grim darkness of the far future. There is only war. Um, and um, and it started out as a desktop game, and so the original figures were you know you have these like heavily armored space marines are about this big, and since they can only get so much detail into a model that big, everything was really blocky. The 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 the, the air vehicles are blocky, and the guns are blocky, and all those. Just I just thought it was dumb. And then I saw a video, I think, from Oculus Imperia, who does uh, some of it, um, uh, videos on this. And, and, and it started interesting me. <laughs> How interested did I get? I got so interested that I read the entire Horus Heresy series, including The Siege of Terra. I just finished the latest book last week. That was 64 novels, 64 science fiction novels in series. Read them all. Uh, some of them are incredibly great. Others were pretty good. Some of them were just place fillers. But the 40K universe appeals to me because it is, it's actually almost like an, uh, an in-joke in a weird sort of way. It is as dark as things can possibly be. It is the darkest imaginable future. And every time you think it can't get darker, somebody comes up with a way to make it even darker. And, and, and I like it even more. Um, so, um, so, uh, in the for in the future, 40,000 years from now, there's been this great uprising, this, uh, civil war called the Horus Heresy. And uh, the emperor of mankind, who's this super psychic, who's guarding the universe, because the only way to travel from star to star is to go through the warp, which is this realm inherited, inhabited by nothing but pure emotions and, and all kinds of demonic influences and stuff. Um, and, um... And it just gets more and more horrible. Uh, they talk about the, 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 the horrors that were caused by artificial intelligence back in the second millennium. So no more artificial intelligence. So how do you run all these things? Well, you have uh, cogitators, which are humans that do this. And then, and then uh, you, when, when somebody's uh, found guilty of crime, there's a lot of crime to be found guilty of in the 40K universe, you become a servitor. They basically um, lobotomize you and they plug you into all these machines and it's just nothing but these walking corpse zombies just it's fabulous and and when um 
so Earth by then, Terra, has, is filled with probably trillions of people. And um, all of them want to go visit the Emperor's Palace, which is in the Himalayas. It's the all of the Himalayas. It's just the size of a continent, this building. And, um, and uh, when you die there, and everybody dies there because air is poison and you know, some people wait in line for 20 years. Uh, when you die, you're just sent to the recycling uh, vats and you emerge as corpse paste, which is a nutrients nutrient paste which is used to feed the next uh, generation of pilgrims corpse paste awesome um it's 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 just fabulous anyway somebody said didn't they go woke so the so the whole appeal of 40k is that it is as grim dark as it can possibly be that's the appeal of it it's horrific horrific and it's supposed to be horrific and then i'll get to that in a second um and then the guys who run this 40k universe who own it uh, in england games workshop i think gw said you know we can appeal to a much larger audience in other words brackets make a lot more money but people think that 40k is too dark so we're going to make it less dark we're going to do a kids cartoon show an animated kids series from the 40k universe and now the space marines are kind of like you know they're not these mutant freaks that are inhuman and in in, in all the rest of the stuff it's trillions yeah the the the, the empire consists of millions of, of stars and it's, it's, this is all part of the of the horror of it the oceans are gone, stolen by a warlord. It's just, Earth is nothing but a cinder, and it, it requires billions of ships feeding it, you know, constantly. It's, it's just, it's horrific. All of it's horrific. And they and so they decided to say, um, hey, you know, we, um, we're going to make this for kids. But they did something different than this. Um, uh, before they did the kids' animated series, people who don't read... 40k universe people who've never been into 40k people who um who don't even like science fiction started to get down on 40k because the space marines which is what the whole thing's about the astartes they, they take baseline humans and they just pump them full of drugs and they give them a second heart and do all this genetic modification give them all these organs and senses and stuff they don't have so they, these guys are like eight nine feet tall or huge and all of the space marines were male you know why because they had to be super strong and super fast. Well, this upset some of the people who are professionally upset. And they said, well, we should have women space marines. And these idiots at, at GW agreed with them. And so now you've got you know, your battle brothers. We've had the, this terminology for 30, 40 years that 40K has been out. Now we have battle sisters. We have Now we have these female superhuman warriors and it's it's absurd can't just can't do it roy's obsessed with this uh, tr uh billions of people won't the earth's theoretical carrying limit limited to 200 billion it might be but they are in the 40k universe there are millions and millions of ships landing thousands touching down at the same time all around there it's all fed from all these other planets it's at the earth if if these if these supplies stop then then billions of people just start starving the next day. 
Um, and so, so the uh, so the woke activists said, "Hey, wait a minute! Here's something where where men are really men. They're superhuman. There are no women involved. There's no there's no sex involved. There's no love involved. These are warriors. They're bred to be warriors. All they do is simply get out there and and kill things in the name of the emperor, beloved by all. They're machines, and they're enormous." And it was exclusively male, and nothing can be exclusively male anymore. Everything has to be accessible to people who have no interest in it whatsoever. So then they started coming out with these uh, female space marines. And I just said, didn't happen as far as I'm concerned. I don't care if it's canon or not. I don't care. Uh, no. No. You don't get this. It's not, you don't get to have it. No. And this is kind of probably an interesting thing to, to talk about, because this is what the left is, right? Uh, when you, when you, I saw the latest example of trans athlete situation, a Penn State swimmer uh, who was mediocre, you know, he'd get in a, get in a college meet, might come in seventh out of nine or something like that, it's an okay swimmer, mediocre swimmer, suddenly felt like he was a woman, declared himself transsexual, and then set all kinds of swimming records in women's competition, broke all the records. So, why do they do this? Why, why are they, why is, why is transgender athletes the hill that the left is going to die on? And I mean, that's where they're going to die. Why is it that they will, that they have intimidated scientists into saying, no, we can't say that a woman uh, is, is a biological thing. Uh, just, just because, just because you don't have a uterus doesn't mean you're not a woman. You're, you're a birthing person. Why all of this stuff, right? Why is this so important? Why is something this small, in terms of the grand scheme of society, why are they standing on this hill and, 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 and going down with it? Why are they destroying female sports? They're supposed to be the champions of, of women and feminism? Nope. Nope. Transgenderism trumps that, you see. Pardon the expression. Um, and here's why. The reason that transgenderism is the, is the issue that it is today and that they're trying to cancel you know, even big liberals like, um, uh, uh, J.K. Rowling. The reason they fight and die on this hill is very simple. And you need to understand this. That guy broke the women's swimming records because, according to the left, he is a woman. He is, he is by definition a woman. And the reason he is a woman is because he feels like a woman. Okay? And so now you're at the heart of it. Because all of leftism is predicated on this idea of magical thinking. If I want to be something badly enough, then it's true. And so if I can't get there, if, there, if I want to be something and I can't get there, then that's oppression and I should be able to do anything I want to. Classic example of this would be if I had that philosophy and I was uh, 17 years old and I went in for the eye exam for the uh, Air Force Academy and I found out that I had 2015 vision in one eye and 2025 vision in the other eye, no fighter pilot for you, Bill, then in, a, in, in the world of woke ideology, instead of me saying, well, that's just the way it goes, man. You have to have standards. If you're going to be a fighter pilot, you got to be able to see things. And if it's not 2020, if they let 2025, then they'll let in 2030 and 2035. So I understand. I don't like it, but I understand it. But no, no, no. If I was, if I was a leftist, 
what I would have done is I would have sued the Air Force Academy for depriving me of my God-given right to be a fighter pilot and, and, and destroying my life and, and, and oppressing me and causing me an enormous emotional pain. And therefore, I would have made the Air Force lower their standards because that would have been the only acceptable outcome because I want to be something and something is stopping me from doing it. Therefore, it's oppressing me and therefore it's got to be destroyed. So I would have simply said, no, uh-uh. I, and by the way, 2025, I could, I could be Mr. Magoo. I could have glasses this thick. But if I want to be a fighter pilot and I'm a leftist, then the Air Force is going to have to adopt its standards to fit me. Right? That's how it will work. And once you understand this, you realize that it's a combination of infantilism and wishful thinking, just like socialism is. So... If you believe it is true, then it's true. And this is how they get to believe in socialism. This is why they fight and die on this hill. If they say something is true, then it's true. It is exactly, look, transgendered athletes in America today are exactly precisely the same thing philosophically as, as Winston Smith being interrogated in 1984 and being asked, what is two plus two? What is two plus two? Everybody's going to start saying there are four lights now from the next generation. I never even saw that episode. But what's two plus two? In 1984, the entire point of what George Orwell, who knew what totalitarianism was because he was a communist growing up, in 1984, when, they, this, when this novel hits this climax, they're torturing this guy, and they're saying, what is two plus two? And he says, it's four. And then O'Brien, who's doing the interrogation on the part of the state, on the part of Big Brother for Ingsoc, English Socialism, um, says, no, try again. Here's some pain for you. What's two plus two? Uh, it's four. Here's some more pain. What's two plus two? I don't know what to say. It, 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 it's five. You want me to say it's five? Here's some more pain. Now you're just telling me what I want to hear. What's two plus two? And after he tortures this guy enough, Winston Smith says, I don't know. And then he says, that's the answer we're looking for. No more pain for you today. What's two plus two? I don't know. Two plus two equals what the state tells you two plus two is. This is what the left, this is the left's entire theory, religion, philosophy, strategy, all of it. Truth is determined by what the state says it is. And now, you understand how we've reacted to COVID. And now you understand why we're $28 trillion in debt. And now you understand why there are transgendered athletes and all of it. This, the truth is not external and not real. It is the product of what the ruling elite nomenclatura says it is. If we say that two plus two equals five, then two plus two equals five. If we say that this guy who suddenly is growing his hair long and says he's a woman, is a woman, then he's a woman. And anybody that disagrees with us is going to go to jail or, or the camps. Because, because what the state says is true. And, and that's why it doesn't matter if they change your opinion. The, the classic, classic line in 1984, which I always get wrong, I think, is that Oceania, that's a super state that um, Winston Smith lives in, was always at war with East Asia. Well, if I've got them inverted, forgive me. There are three giant countries in 1984, super, super nations. 
And one of them has always been at war with the other one. Winston Smith works in the Department of, of Truth, which is kind of like history, cleaning up history. And all of a sudden, the state says, no, no, we're not at war with East Asia. We're at war with Eurasia. We've always been at war with Eurasia. We've never been at war with East Asia. It changes. And now all of the history has to be rewritten. That's his job, is to go back and rewrite the history, because the state can never be wrong. And this is what you need to understand. This is why people are fighting on the transgender hill. The state can never be wrong. And since we're not talking about a, a totalitarian state that's enforced by gunfire because they're cowards, it's enforced by social proof and peer pressure, the state is the left woke ideology. That's the state. If woke ideology says that men can be women, then that's what you will have to accept. And if we have to put you in the rat cage until you, until you come around, then that's what we'll do. And then we'll shoot you once you believe. Um, yes, and, and Broke College student says, uh, the, 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 this is what the Soviets said. In, in the Soviet Union, the future is certain. It's the past that's changeable or malleable or, or unknown. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Dave Big Booty gives another great example from 1984. There's an announcement made that the chocolate ration has been increased from 30 grams to 25 grams. Isn't that brilliant? God, that is an amazing book. Brilliant. He has a, uh, he has a conversation with a guy who's really big into the state, just like all the rest of these self-branded COVID mummies. And he's having this conversation with this guy who's working on the new um, dictionary. And he's proud to say that this new 7th edition dictionary has 60,000 fewer words than the previous edition. And they're working on getting even more of them out. They think eventually they'll be able to get the dictionary down to a few hundred words. And the genius of that is, if there's no such word as patriotism, no such word as rebellion, no such word as integrity, no such word as truth, if the only way to describe wanting to be free is by calling it double plus ungood, then you've not only limited people's actions, you've limited their thought. There's no words to describe what you're thinking about. Um, so you don't say it's very bad. You don't say it's horrific. There's no horrific. There's no abominable. There's no atrocious. There's no appalling. There's no um, calamitous. There's nothing. It's just good and not even bad. It's good and ungood. And if you really want to emphasize it, you don't say, well, it's, if something's good, you don't want to say, well, it's great, it's spectacular, it's magnificent, it's astonishing, it's awe-inspiring. No, it's, if it's really good, you could say it's plus good. And if it's the birth of the universe or something like that, you would go all the way to the end of the language and you would say it is double plus, un double plus good or double plus ungood. Worst thing you could ever do, mass murderer, genocide, no, no, no. Double plus ungood behavior. And we're seeing it now in real time. In 1984, George Orwell describes that the, the new language is called Newspeak. And it's making English smaller and smaller, 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 making all of the ideas that you can have more and more narrow. But the process behind it is called doublethink. And doublethink is the ability to keep two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time and have them both be true. And so now you understand transgendered athletes. Is this a biological male? Yes. Is it actually a woman? Yes. See how it works? Do these things exclude each other? Well, in a world of objective truth, they certainly do. But no, the state says that, that, that this is a woman. So this formerly male swimmer is now a woman. Not, not, a, not a 
not a transsexual, not a, not even a person who's been altered. No, no, it, it is an actual woman. Um, so you got a woman, and and at the same time, does he have white? He has white chromosomes. Yes. Well, you just said he has white chromosomes. Yes, that's the definition of of a male. Is male has white chromosomes. No, no, no. Thought crime for you, Bill, because this individual in question may have white chromosomes, but it's not a he; it's a she. Because, because we said so. There it is. Because we said so. That actually should be the motto of the of, of the left. The, the motto of conservatives ought to be "E pluribus unum" out of many one or "In God We Trust" or whatever. And the left is because we said so. Um, because we said so. The reason that they're not going to succeed, and the reason that I've become so. Um, uh, strangely optimistic of late is because none of this survives contact with reality. It only works when you're talking theory. And what I mean by that is, yes, they have the social pressure now to, um, they have the social pressure now to make Company, large companies, universities, the NFL, all of them, take a knee and say, yes, of course this is a woman. If he says he's a woman, it's a woman. Of course he can use the, the women's uh, uh, bathroom because because he says he is and and because the state says he is, so he is, so okay, great. But this doesn't survive contact with reality. And what I mean by that is if this trend continues, and it will continue for a while, it's going to get worse before it gets better, then... And I and I and because it's going to get because it has to get worse before it gets better. I want it to get worse as fast as possible because I want to get through it to the other side. So, we we're already seeing more and more of these trans athletes, and what this means is, if this continues, and it will, then there will not be any double X chromosome individuals in the Olympics. There will be two categories. There will be the men's sports, and then there will be the women's sports, which will be consisting entirely of XY chromosome women. Um, right? That's an interesting statement, Helios. Uh, a tough woman can beat some men. A tough man will beat all women. Absolutely. That's true. Um, but that doesn't mean that men can't have babies. And when I say have them, it doesn't mean not just adopt them. Can men give birth to, to, to children? Yeah, of course they can. Why are you asking such a silly question? Of course a man can give birth to a child. How does that work? What do you mean? This this man just gave birth to this child. So this man has a uterus and all the rest of it? Yes. What's the problem? So when when it turns out that these idiots realize that what, and, and look, I've talked about this so many times, but it, but and I know it makes me sound very uh, anti-women. It's not that at all, at all, on the contrary. But basically, if they're saying that any male that says he's a woman and can compete in the women's category, they go from being mediocre to being a record breaker. And that means that this trend will continue. And that means that women's sports will be utterly dominated by trans, by trans males. And when that happens, this is the part I'm trying to make the point of. What they do when they do this is they continually show up they, they, they're throwing a spotlight on how much superior 
males are in terms of athletics. All of the women's records are being broken by trans males. And they think that this is kind of, uh, you know, an enlightened kind of thing. All it does is show people, my God. So you're telling me that like a, 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 a fourth rate male athlete is, is better than the best female athlete in the world? That's what you're saying. Yep, absolutely. There are the numbers. Stopwatch doesn't lie. So it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, it's uh, falling apart. And uh, and and they're and they're not going to succeed. I I've started to pay. In, I've I've never. Uh, and then and then Steve Eisen, uh, I'm sorry, Eisland says. Uh, and then that meltdown happens. Then what? Then people just stop putting up with it. They just stop putting up with it. Um, we're already starting to see this in school board meetings. We're starting to see it. It's, it's starting to really start to make itself known. And, 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 as I have maintained for my entire professional career, politics is downstream of culture. So the changes in the culture have been happening for several years now, and, and that's all looking good. Did the left kill Star Wars with their wokeism? Yes. Did they turn Luke Skywalker into a, into a solitary loner, whiner, crybaby, attempted murderer? Yes. Yes, they did all of those things. But... But since then, the reaction in the pop culture, which leads political culture by five, ten years at least, has been so outrageous that now Disney is talking about eliminating that, sec that, that, that recent trilogy, writing it out of the canon. It happened in a different universe, and they're going right back to what they started out with. The Ghostbusters movie that just came out is, is by all accounts, very, very good because it's honest to the original Ghostbusters. And so the, 19, uh, the 2016 version of Ghostbusters with the four women that wasn't funny, that was the woke wave breaking. They made Ghostbusters into women. It was awful because the Ghostbusters aren't women. And it bombed. And so now the pendulum swings back. And so now to make the fans not run completely away, they're going back to making Ghostbusters what it used to be. And it's all all swinging back, yes. Uh, Eric says, now we have the Mandalorian, Bad Batch, and so on. Now we're back to what we had. And Gina Carrera was fired, and then I, the rumors that she's hired again. Um, Wizard says, uh, your Star Wars interview with Joshua Phillips was the video that got me uh, as a member. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so... Uh, since what we're seeing in the pop culture now is that is that everything that they that the woke has touched has been a catastrophe and now they're scrambling to get unwoke the woke had the the, the, the woke had their chance and they failed because they had no chance to succeed not only do they have bad ideas they have bad ideas because they have no talent that's why they have bad ideas the reason you're a socialist is because you can't make money that, that's it the only reason you'd be in favor of socialism and having everybody be equally poor is because you're a failure. Because you cannot or will not do what it takes to succeed. So therefore, since you don't want to succeed, you don't want anybody else to succeed. It's the politics of failure. And, and, and these guys who are so brave for... No, these are, these, are, these are losers and cowards who realize that they're never going to be able to compete 
in male sports. So they decide, well, if, I, if I'm just going to be ninth place in male sports, why don't I just declare myself a female? And they're, they're now coming first. That's, that's just chicken shit. That's just such an incredibly cowardly, low, slinky, kind of nasty thing to do. That's what they are. It's a lack of talent. Why is, why is the original trilogy so, I mean, the, the last trilogy so bad? Because it's badly written. Why does nobody like Ray Skywalker? Ray Skywalker? Because she's a Mary Sue, because she's badly written, because these people are so untalented and so insecure that they cannot write any kind of setbacks into Ray because then she won't be a powerful role model for women, you see. So she has to be absolutely perfect in everything. She First time she flies the Millennium Falcon, much better pilot than Han Solo's been flying it his whole life. She's never been on a spaceship before, but that shouldn't slow her down because she's a young, powerful woman, you see. If she'd gotten into the Millennium Falcon, tried to make an escape, and crashed it into a mountain, destroyed the Falcon, and barely survived, that would be interesting. But they can't do that. They can't do it because they don't have the talent to write that, and they don't have the intestinal fortitude to have somebody that they like suffer. So there you go. And, and it's just going to continue. Star Trek, the same thing. What's her name? Um, Mikey Spock, as, as uh, Dooncock calls her. Michael Burnham, you know, the black woman who is uh, Mr. Spock's adopted sister, who he never spoke of in 50 years. Yeah, she can't just be, see, this is the thing. This is, this is the stolen valor argument, right? They cannot write, there's a perfectly, there's a, a talented writer, even a half-talented writer, could look at Star Trek Discovery, make it about a young black woman, and make it interesting and compelling because they would make her into a real character. That would take work. She'd have to have setbacks. She'd have to have problems. She would, she, she, you'd have to have her get hurt. And you'd have to have her be wrong. But they don't have the talent to do that. They don't have the talent to write an interesting character. So what they do is they borrow all, they steal all of the interest from Spock and staple it to her. Is she interesting? Oh yeah. Well, what, what what's interesting about her? Oh, she's Mr. Spock's uh, sister. What does that tell me? Well, Spock is interesting. Yeah, Spock's real interesting. Spock's interesting because I've seen 200 hours of Mr. Spock, right? He's interesting because he earned it. Great writers and great actors made Mr. Spock interesting. So I've got a long history of 30 years of being of Spock being interesting, but what about this new character of yours? What, what has she got going for? Well, she's Spock's sister. Isn't that interesting? No, not really. No, it's not. All it does is, is, is spool Pock down. Pull Spock down. Spool Pock down. Stephen uh, says that he doesn't see them going unwoke. They're not, the, the artists will never go unwoke and the left will never go unwoke. But the studios are facing, and, and the studios want to be worked, but the studios are realizing no. So, look, The Mandalorian was an immediate, instant, in, in, in real time in terms of production time, virtually instantaneous reaction to the catastrophe of The Last Jedi, right? So, they realize, my God, we've destroyed the, 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 the greatest cash cow of all time. What can we do? Well, Kathleen Kennedy's running the show over there, so she's going to handle all the movies. I know we're boned here. What do we do? Uh, well, wait, maybe we can do like a streaming, a streaming TV show. Okay, who can we get to, to make this right? Well, John Favreau turned Iron Man from a fourth-level Marvel character into the most beloved of the bunch, because Favreau is a great director, and Favreau has paid his dues, and Favreau loves the material. Let's give it to him. Next thing you know, you got the Mandalorian, and now you've got a you've got actual Star Wars again. Until uh, 
the actor playing uh, Gina Carrera, uh, the actress, says uh, something that they disagree with. So she's fired. Now the fans say, F you, Mandalorian, we're gone. Oh, no, 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 come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. And Favreau was furious over that because he understood that, hey, we're trying to save this franchise at the 11th hour and we're actually starting to turn fan reaction around and now you're going to go and do this again? You're going to kill this? No. So there you go. When, when Luke Skywalker appears at the end of the second Mandalorian season, that is for, that is a, that is a, what that is is a corporate, please, 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 please forgive us. Please, please, please forgive us for our woke transgressions. We really, 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 really sorry. Here's what you loved in the first place. So the last thing you remember about Luke Skywalker is not this old guy on a mountain island who's a lunatic. No, no, no. Here he is again. Look, see, he's in his black uniform. He's young. He's got the sword. And he's fighting bad guys. So, so they're they, they've already lost in the pop culture, and now they're returning to normal, and politics is following five, seven, eight years later. It's nice to be able to read the future by looking at the present. And once it crashes, you are, if you'll pardon the expression, um, inoculated against it. You're immunized. And, and that's how we really ought to look at it in terms of the larger culture, our experimental woke-ism. Right? It's a, this is a relatively new thought for me, being a few seconds old. But one way to, to look at it is this whole woke catastrophe is a disease that society has caught and has done a lot of damage, but we have survived it and now we're immunized as a culture. So do we have, yes, we've got years of fever and coughing and years and years of all the, you know, we'll have the, the pustules and all, all of the things that come with disease, they're all here and they're all coming, they're all gonna get worse, but we have survived the disease and then we will have immunity. And that ought to last us for another 50, 60 years. Um, and that's all you can ever hope for because uh, rest never sleeps. That'd be somebody else's problem. My problem is trying to get us out of this one and so is yours. Um, so anyway, Favreau, uh, I, you know, I, I, I had my mouth open to say, I don't know what Favreau's politics are. I'm sure he's a left winger, but the point is he doesn't, he knows what the material is. And by the way, Star Wars, is Star Wars because it's not political. Once you start injecting politics into Star Wars, it's not Star Wars anymore. It's not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's yesterday here. And um, so there you go. Now we're kicking their ass. They have failed utterly. And this, by the way, was their entire, was their entire, this was it. This was the, this was the, the, the Ludendorff offensive. This was their Pearl Harbor. This was their everything. They cheated in plain sight of everybody. They just, credibility is destroyed. Nobody believes the Times anymore. Nobody believes in the CDC anymore. Nobody believes in the FBI anymore. They've destroyed everything that they infiltrated. And it's going to take a generation to regain trust in those, um, uh, I almost said trust in those organizations, but those organizations will never be trusted again. You'll have to have to eliminate the FBI and then create something new. You just have to rebrand it. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, that's a great point. Coconut uh, ED5, never heard from in the comment section before, but welcome. 
But he said, best decision Lucas ever made was never to explore why the Empire was evil. It just was. Yes. Yes. What is your first, in Star Wars, what is your first introduction to the Empire? Well, you got a bunch of scared looking guys in a ship and they are human beings and they all have faces and they're worried. And down at the end of this white hall is the door to the ship that just ate them. And all of a sudden there's an explosion and it's red light and smoke and out of the gates of hell come these white skeletons. It's not an accident that they have these white joints with black in between them and have a grill that looks like a skeleton. They're skeletons obviously skeletons so all these white skeletons come out you think oh my god we're being attacked by skeletons bang, bang. maybe we can hold off the skeletons and then you realize ah, it's not the skeletons they're just they're just the the doormen because the next thing you see is a seven foot tall black creature with a skull for a face same open same kind of mouth thing he's wearing a nazi helmet it's big enough to float a boat in and he's breathing through a respirator, which means that he is, he is a mechanical, biological creature. And as I like to say, when Darth Vader first makes that entrance in the original Star Wars, I leaned over to the person sitting next to me and I said, I, I'll bet you that's the bad guy. Yeah, and then, uh, and then uh, Roy points out the first thing you do. What, what's the first thing you find out about the Empire? Well, we... This, uh, you came from this planet and you're, you're not doing what the state tells you? Destroy the planet. What? Yeah, just, just destroy it. There's billions of innocent people there. There are no innocent people. We've decided that they're, that they're guilty, so. <sighs> yeah, wizards got it right. They blow up the planet for spite. It's actually not just for spite. You could think it's for spite, but it's not. It, they blow up the planet not because... Oh, we'll show you, planet. They blow up the planet because you have dared to disagree with what we're saying, and so therefore, we'll make an example of you. We're not just going to take the people or the political leaders. We're not going to do... No, 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 no. Because this isn't about Alderaan anymore. It's about the rest of the Empire. The rest of the Empire hears that there's a little bit of uh, political trouble on Alderaan? Really? What's the latest news from Alderaan? There is no Alderaan. What? It's gone. The whole thing? Yep. What does that tell you? It tells you, don't F with the Empire is what it tells you. Um, so, it's all just laziness, that's a, and that's a tragedy, you know? It, it, puts, it puts somebody like me fighting against a character like Michael Burnham or Ray, and it makes me sound like a misogynist, but I'm not. I'm attacking these female characters because they're written by feminists, and they are not characters. They're, 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 they're cardboard cutouts. Of, of what they want to be. Ray is what Kathleen Kennedy sees herself as. A warrior with a lightsaber. Does Kathleen Kennedy know how to hold a lightsaber? No. Has Kathleen Kennedy ever done anything to deserve the title of water, warrior? No. Have social justice warriors ever been in an actual fight? No. But they sure do wear that title, don't they? They're anti-war, but they call themselves warriors. You know why? Because warriors are cool. Sounds cool. Uh, was it says go to Gaming Realm and search for Metroid 5 story that's what a true female protagonist is like uh, okay um, but I, didn't, I don't have to do that I know what great female protagonists look like they look like Ellen Ripley um, they look like Sarah Connor who um, both of whom are written by men 
Oh, thank you. Uh, a number of people have been asking about the table read. The table read is done and recorded. Uh, I have not um, released yet. Uh, I am uh, struggling with... Um, I, we've got a bit of a Dana Scully, great example, and we can give a hundred other examples. Some, some of them are, are written by some episodes are written by women, but almost exclusively. Oh, there! Oh my God, Shelby AC for the for the wow for the win. Emma Peel, never Mrs. Peel from the Avengers. Diana Rigg, she was. I can't think of anybody who preceded her. She was an action hero. She was a karate expert, kicking the guns out of guys. And and she was fantastic. It was a strange show, The Avengers. Really strange show. Um, but yeah. And she was in the one piece, you know, that one piece kind of bodysuit. My God, man. She was, um, she was fantastic. Pam Greer, people are saying, yeah, but she came after. Emma Peel was the first one I can think of. And I, and even as a boy, I never had any problem with Emma Peel. Because I, I never saw Emma Peel walk up to a 250-pound guy and punch him and knock him out. She might use some crazy karate moves if they're not paying attention. You know, hit him on the, you know, with one of these, one of these deadly things. Whoo, karate chops the neck, down you go. That's funny that most people, young people, will never realize that. Uh, but for, uh, I think it must have been a result of World War II, you know? We're fighting those nefarious Japanese bastards, and um, and and they have uh, they have mysterious Oriental skills. Notice I didn't say Asian skills. They have mysterious Oriental skills, and one of the skills is they know how to use karate, which we don't know how to use. And when you use karate, you see, you don't punch somebody with a fist because that's what Westerners do. Orientals, those devious little yellow bastards, they use karate, you see, and they they, they hit you with a with a with a hand like this, and if they hit you on the neck, just right with a, with what's called a karate chop. Like that, down you go. It's practically the Vulcan nerve pitch. Um, yeah, Lindsay Wagner and the Bionic Woman. Yes, they're all interesting characters. They're great. They're great. Great, 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 great. Um, anyway, the table read is recorded, uh, and it's synced up, and um, and the problem is right now uh, a minor one, uh, but it's enough to make me want to fi uh, fix it. Uh, the animation was rendered in 24 frames a second. Uh, most televisions at 30 frames a second. Most video games, if a video game is running s slower than 60 frames a second, then real gamers get upset and somebody once described 30 frames a second in a video game as sandpaper on the eyes. Um, but movies are at 24 frames a second. And there's a great guy on YouTube named William. He's a VFX artist who works with uh, Unreal, and he's a real-world cameraman. And he says, if you want it to look like a movie shoot, record, you know, render it at 24 frames a second. So we're not talking about video games now. In video games, you turn your head like this, you switch, you know, you'll notice 24 frames a second. Movies don't pan that fast. Uh, so. Um, 24 frames a second. And that's what I sent our composer. I sent him animation at 24 frames a second. It was rendered in Unreal at 24 frames a second, brought it into Premiere, and I output it at 24 frames a second. But what I did not realize was that the sequence in Premiere defaults to 29.97 frames a second, which is uh, NTSC drop frame. And so the music and the sound effects 
were essentially synced to a 30 frames per second and the animation is rendered at 24 and so we've had to retime all of the music and the sound effects which I got uh, got finished yesterday uh, Marusha says Bill did you see that Unity acquired Weta making them competitive with Unreal for hyperrealism again we'll see um, uh, I'd heard that I've heard that Unreal was bought by the Chinese. They, they, they've been making major purchases. Uh, I personally, I, I look, I'm just, I just learned Unreal in the last couple of years. Uh, I had a head start because I'd worked in 3D Studio, so I knew about keyframing. Key I knew, you know, how to light things, and I, I had the basics. Uh, I personally, generally like the look of of Unreal better, but uh, Unity um, had. Um, Neil Blokamp had a studio called Oats Studios, and he did four or five shorts. Look them up on YouTube, Oats Studios. It's, it's got a logo of like a hand, like a digital hand. They did a number of shorts using Unity. Some of them were just exclusively Unity. Some of them were Unity with live action. They got Sigourney Weaver for one of them, and, um, and they're fantastic. They're just great. Um, in any event, uh, whether it's Unity or Unreal, combination of both, whatever, we are now really rapidly um, approaching the point that I realized that got me into the game engine stuff in the first place. For the longest time, I just thought, it looks like video games. I'm not interested. I'm a filmmaker, believe it or not. Uh, and then, then I saw about three, two to th two, two, two years ago, something like that. Then I saw Unreal starting to get close enough to reality for me to say, you know what? And it may not even have been Unreal. I think it was when I first saw Love, Death, and Robots when I said, this is getting real close. And I realized in the time it takes me to learn this and, and, and start doing some output, it's going to take two to three years. And then the great thing about this is every single day, it gets better and better and better, and it will not stop. It will continue to get better. Um, humans are very uh, humans are the hardest thing to do because we we have interaction with humans. Um, Rusha points out that on Discord, uh, link will be in the comment section below. I'm, a link will be in the uh, in the description below. Um, that she's posted all of old Zoe's videos from the PGTV days. He was he was a rocket ship. He still is. He's a great guy. I love working with him. Um, so um, so humans have always been the weak point. Prior to MetaHumans coming out, I used digital scanned heads, but they weren't animated. But they looked pretty good. Uh, MetaHumans is groundbreaking, and if and if Unity can leapfrog them to the next generation, great. They should have somebody nipping at their heels for, for, uh, for, uh, for this. Wizard says it's not stop, not a month, not a year, not a century. It'll improve and become more realistic until the uncanny valley is gone. I think the uncanny valley is well, certainly we we we've crossed it. We're not out of it, but we've certainly we're certainly almost out of it. Um, I have seen a number of videos where, and I've got a good eye for this, a real good eye for this. Um, I have seen videos where I could not tell that the human was not a real human. 
and they have to do they have to show me a pass with the mesh for me to believe it um, and and it just gets better every day so there will come a point within the next year or two when when it just pointless um, to to go out and do all that all these movies that I wanted to do I can I mean look I can't do them alone it's a mountain of work it's taken me took me four or five months to do the first chapter of this thing and I five more chapters to go I can't move at that speed but I'm getting faster than I need to smell. Um, but when I saw Love, Death, and Robots, the first season, and I saw an uh, episode called Lucky 13 about this science fiction dropship with a, with a black female pilot who was a great character, who was a thoroughly believable, absolutely wonderful character for a, you know, 13-minute short that I thought was great. Um, that looked good enough. And then uh, in the second season, they did one called um, Snow in the Desert, which looked even better. And I also had, had to come to the realization that, that computer graphics don't bother young people the way they bother me because I compare them to movies and the CG humans don't look as good as humans, but most people who are coming up in, in the world as audience members grew up with video games. doesn't bother them much at all. Yeah, The Russians versus the Monsters was great. That was a... Can't recommend that highly enough. Uh, uh, Love, Death, and Robots on... Um, is it uh, Netflix? Yeah, I think it's Netflix. Um, so, so when I decided to get on board, I said, we're three or four years away, maybe five from genuine photorealism. And, uh, and that's how much time it's going to take me to get there. Um, how much do I need to raise to hire an animator? I need, uh, it depends. Um, it's tough because, uh, LA is extremely expensive, and plus you have to find somebody who's conservative on top of it. I can do it online. Uh, you're probably going to have um, uh, some problems with uh, translation. It's nice to be able to literally look over somebody's shoulder, but um, but I've definitely I've got to really break this whole thing down and, and get some help on board. The problem is is that is that. Um, I was always hoping that I could touch it each shot last, but I realized now I have to touch the shot first. And now I need to, now I need to see about, and this is the last thing I'll say, because it's already after 11, I mean after eight. Um, so occasionally people uh, who know me have said, hey Bill, your problem is you're a control freak, you wanna, you wanna do everything. No, no, uh-uh, that's not it at all. Reminds me of that line in broadcast news where they um, somebody says uh, to um, Holly Hunter's character, they say, I suppose it must be really great being the smartest person in the room all the time, huh? And she says, no, it's horrible. Um, so I have no interest whatsoever in, in the mechanics of doing the animation. I do all of it myself, and I'm slow at it. And when the when the new suit comes in, I got a, a, a neuron suit and I wasn't real happy with I get the uh, uh, the um, Rococo suit should be in mid-January, mid which is getting closer. Um, well, thank you, Eric. That's nice of you. Uh, so when this, when the second suit arrives, which is much easier to use and gets better, um, much better, um, Fidelity, but the, the problem with the neuron suit is not just that the, the limited numbers of recordings I did with it were a little bit noisy. 
Um, the problem is the suit is, and the and, and and is just a bitch to put on. It originally started out as just straps. There wasn't a suit. Then I got the suit, but you still have to do the straps. Just getting into it is is, is 45 minutes. The Rococo suit, on the other hand, everything's wired inside. It's all zipped up. You just get into it, plug the gloves in, baboom, you're done. You're ready to go. So when I get that, then that'll save virtually all of the time I spend. Right now, if I have a scene, and I've got, I'll give you a great example. I've got a scene where the guys come out of the vortex on the other side, and um, and they're going into this castle, and they have to take a step down and then walk among, like, uh, skeletons and then take two steps up. Now, for me to do that right now, I have to find animation of walking. I have to find animation of stairs, which doesn't exist. Strange coincidence, Steve Eisland uh, said, did I ever use Mixamo? Mixamo has hundreds of animations, including walking downstairs. But here's the problem. If I want to do a shot of the guy walking down a step or two across the, the thing of skeletons, up another step and so on, I have to find a walking animation. I have to find a step animation. I have to blend them seamlessly so there's no jump. Take one step, then I have to blend that into another walking animation so that there's no jump, no no leg movement, no body movement. All these root motion things have to be calculated. Then he has to walk across the skeletons, and I didn't want a regular walk. I wanted a walk that looked like, my God, I'm, I'm kind of you know walking through skeletons, which is doesn't exist. And then I have to find climbing upstairs animation. I have to sync that up perfectly so that doesn't jump or do all the rest of the stuff. And then it, it's just crazy. When I get the suit, I will really, really pick up the pace. And they said middle of January. Uh, it's not a it's not a sitting in Long Beach problem. It's a chip problem. It's, they just can't get the chips fast. Manufactured in uh, Europe, I want to say in uh, it's not the Netherlands, is it? Might be. Anyway, it's a great suit. And 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 I decided to so I bought a suit, and then I bought a second suit for twice the price, because. In the Rococo ad, they've got the guy sitting there with the suit, and he's just doing this with his fingers, like just doing this. So fingers are the ones that are hardest to track. And it's coming out of Unreal in real time, including the facial capture. Um, uh, great. I'll get to that in a sec. Um, have I ever used IK animation methods? I have, but I'm not an animator. Every time I try to animate anything, it looks like garbage. Um, so... Once once I get the suit, then every then I no longer have to look for, forget just forget putting it together just finding them. There are probably ten thousand individual animations, stock animations out there, and and everything I've done has been using them, and I'm grateful for them. But in order to in order to make a scene happen, I have to go and find the five or six animations that I need, and then I have to blend them together. All of this stuff. Little things, right? Little things. Like, for example, every single walk you see in, in the original, if you saw the original chapter, which we'll be, uh, be getting there, um, every single walking animation, every single one of them, is uh, just a guy just walking, or he stands, or he turns, or he does all these other things, and he's got his hands relaxed at his side. But I've got guys who are holding a torch in one hand and a sword in another. So for every single one of those animations, I have to go to every single joint on every single one of the four fingers, including the thumb. So three joints each, that's 15 individual settings. I have to, I have to go to this hand, which is normally like this. I want to grasp a sword. Great. I'll start with the index finger. Right? So I have to take this index finger, and I have to take this thing, and I have to bend it 40 degrees. And I have to take the second joint, I have to bend that about 40 degrees. And the finger I have to bend about 50 degrees. And once I set that, it'll stay for the animation, but so far so good. Then I have to go to the middle finger, take the first joint, bend it 40, second joint 40, third joint 40, 50, that kind of thing. And this takes time, and I have to do it all the time. 
when I get the suit, I just hold Alternatively, my sword. I actually had a, 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 a Aragon sword, but it was just crazy heavy. But that's good because if this thing is heavy, then it. So here's my torch, see? And and now all of my body is reacting to the weight of this torch. Because this thing's heavy, I'm I'm counterbalancing. If I had a sword in the other hand, now I've got it. Now I've got to think about how I walk. By the way, uh, don't tell anybody you saw this. I have to keep a actual baseball and a mitt here. I'm not making this up. It is illegal for me to have this in California in my office. Uh, and it's illegal for me to carry it in the car. That is an absolute true thing. You cannot have a big stick in your car. Anything can be used as a weapon. Uh, and, I, and I'm not allowed to do that. So I have to keep a baseball glove here and a, and a baseball. Uh, yeah, I know how IK works. It still, it still has to be done. You got to go in and do it, and it, and it, it may be a little faster using reverse uh, inverse kinematics, but it still has to be done. When I get the suit and everything's good, I simply say to myself, and this is the great part, by the way, um, all of the stuff in the first chapter, I not only did my own acting, I did Zoe's acting as well. It's his voice, but I did the acting behind the mask because mostly just eye motion. Anyway, you get the idea. Uh, yeah, that's that. All right. Um, so that'll that'll make things go a lot faster. Just have to wait till middle of January, and then we should see a big big increase. Meanwhile, I'm working on them one at a time. Um, it's uh, I got I just got a real tough physical area I have to um, cross, and it's just a, a bear. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, Zoe's voice is not only a great addition; he's 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 great. And 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 when I, since I've done the animation, using stock animation for both Zoe's character and my character, I always have to, um, I always have to kind of degrade my character. So whenever there's like a run or a sprint, there's a sprint in the final shot. These guys are sprinting. I got Zoe going at. They're they're all the animations are too fast. They're all time for games. So when I get when I get the running animation for Zoe's character, I put it in at probably about ninety-two percent of speed, and for me, I probably knock it down to eighty percent. So Zoe runs faster than I do. I don't think there's much question about that. And when I have to physically manually, I've got an animation with a jump. Okay, I have to go in there and I want him to jump higher, so I have to take that one keyframe and I have to move him up a little bit and bring him back down. So I have to make Zoe jump higher than I do and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, Wazard, I like that too, the, uh, the two astronauts on the astro being stuck on the asteroid. That's where I want to go. But I made a decision to do this um, fantasy thing because it's a sharper political point and I need to get new members. Uh, so we will see. And in order to get new members, I have to get these other tapes done. In order to get that done, I had to get the music and the sound resync to 24 frames a second. Got that yesterday. Uh, so anyway, that's that. So look at that. It's 8.22 hours and 20 minutes of nonstop nonsense. That's, that's, what, you're, uh, that's what you're here for. Um, 
I was going to edit the uh, Moving Back to America, but it's going to be three hours of editing. I'm going to start on it. I may end up having to bump that to next week. Um, it's This one's very heavy. Uh, hey, Steve. This one's very heavy uh, video elements. Um, so, anyway, I don't, I'm, I'll, I'll get started on it. I don't know if I'm going to get it done in time to do two shows this week. I'm probably going to, I want to do two Moving Back to America, uh, two Moving Back to America's a week, but um, uh, it's been one for a couple weeks now. So I did get one out earlier this week, The Walking Dead. A uh, uh, number of people saying, tell Natasha to say hi. Um, she's certainly more popular on the show than I am, and I don't blame you one little bit. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I don't get to that, Marisha. I'm, I'm sorry, it's been a little overwhelmed. I'm hoping that the uh, that the uh, top up will help. Like I said, um, I was a couple quarts low there, so hopefully uh, that'll help. In any event, the engine light went off, so that's a good sign. Um, and we'll see. Uh, I may end up putting the facial motion capture into business sooner rather than later because of, of the impact crater that's uh, expected. Uh, so. Yeah, consider the free state of America. Uh, consider the free state of Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah. My wife wants to go to Florida real bad. Me, not so much. Um, all right. Thank you, Steve. You know, uh, I've had a couple people say, um, "I don't know how you get all." Uh, a friend of mine said, "I don't know how you produce all the work you do." There's never. I've never had a day, not one day ever, and I mean this. And I'm not proud of this, and it's not false anything. It's just the truth. From the day I started BillWiddle.com, I have never once gone home feeling like I did enough for the day. Never, ever, ever. All I do is think about all the stuff that I either missed or should have done or I laid on or, or whatever. I, 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 I sometimes have to stop myself and say, you know, eight shows a week, nine is not, not so bad for, you know, essentially a one-guy uh, operation. Tungusta, oh, oh, political animal. I, I got to tell you, man, I, I think I'm going to have to eliminate the um, the competition right away and just go with that. That's great, Tunguska. Uh, for those of you turning in late, uh, this little uh, biopsy they did uh, turned out we've got some freeloaders that are uh, on, the, on the train riding for free. So I'm going to have to have a, a Mohs procedure, and there's going to be a crater about the size of a nickel on my lip here for couple of months, I guess, until it heals up. I heal fast. I'm wounded frequently. Uh, many times you don't even realize this. Uh, oh, Tunguska, clever. Um, yeah, I'm often I'm often come to, to do this stress lounge, severely injured, run through with swords. Somebody get a lucky hit on me while I, you know, I put them down, that kind of thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I do, looking back on the show, which is now two and a half hours long, I realize that I have been really kind of on a, like, wow, on a roll. So whether or not it's the uh, ozone oxygenated uh, 60 cc's of blood in action or the vitamins or whatever, but I do realize I'm feeling definitely a little chippier and uh, and my voice is a little uh, more relaxed. So that may have to do with having enough uh, fluid in the bloodstream. We'll see. Uh, anyway, if you were waiting for your question and get to it, I know I'm sorry about that, but um, sometimes it's nice just to be able to rant. And there you have it, uh, episode 300 and something. 
of uh, the Stratosphere Lounge, uh, made possible by the members of BillLittle.com from episode one. I haven't the faintest idea why, why you guys are still here, really. It's a mystery to me, and I know you kind of come here every week to, uh, to listen to this, but I'm much more fascinated by the fact that people just keep coming back. It's a mystery to me, but never though. You never know. We got a great, 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 great group of people watching the show. Not just not just good people, but smart people. Every time I ask any kind of question in the comment section, seven, eight second lag, and bam, back. Uh, wow, 300. We're well past 300. I think we're 305, 306 now. I think. Um, yeah, and um, and uh, and Doomcock, as you probably know, if you're a fan of Doomcock. Uh, has had some, I think, some real uh, tough personal issues, which he's mentioned around the outside edges. And uh, I'm going to give him a call. And by the way, I'm going to send Doomcock my uh, Star Trek episode. Many of you may not have seen that, called the um, uh, the uh, the Dowd conundrum. Uh, it was the first video I did after the atomic bombs video, and I did the whole thing on um, on the bridge of the Enterprise, and it, I was real happy with that. So. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, if you're watching this and you're not a member, uh, you probably heard the pitch by now. But generally, genuinely rather, we really do have a bunch of good people, and a lot of people um, uh, just saying all the time that you know found a lot of friends here they didn't know they they missing until they got here. So if you're feeling a little alone out there, this would be the place for you. Uh, the Stratosphere Lounge is always the place for you. It's always free of charge, no admission, no cover, no drinks, no minimum, um, and. Uh, and uh and thank you steve and and that'll do it and and, and uh, my um uh, marusha is my uh, sorcerer i almost said my sorcerer's uh i almost said dog body but i really meant to say familiar uh, just magically waves a wand and things appear she found planetarium shows and she just put a link in the live comment section to that and uh i don't know if scott can get it on the uh on the post but we'll see um, Sorcerer's Apprentice, sure, why not? Let's go with that. Um, uh, yeah, all right. Hey, 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 um, done. Um, that'll do it uh, for this edition of the Stress Free Lounge. Again, made possible by the members at BillLittle.com. I and my wife and the rest of us here in this uh, little shop are grateful every day. And I know I say that every week, but I mean it every week. Every single week, we're just... Everything we do, even when we went to the the IV thing today, um, I, uh, uh, our members are making this possible. So we'll see. Anyway, uh, great to be here. Um, and uh, and and do I still trash talk about you after the show? No, Natasha talked me out of doing that. I I loved it. I thought it was fun. Uh, the hot mic kind of thing. But um, we'll see. Hail Vectron, uh, as Eric Blake says, um, and. Um, and I guess we will see you right here uh, next week, if you, you know, if you have the stomach for it.